0: Hi, I'm Kelsey, a mental health professional and outdoor enthusiast obsessed with helping stuck individuals live more authentically, heal their mental health, and play outside more. I'm a Midwest gal who grabbed a 60 liter backpack, laced up her hiking boots, and turned a quarter life crisis into a quarter life comeback. I teach you evidence-based ways to overcome the beliefs and behaviors that are holding you back. Not one for small talk, psychology, spirituality, and honest conversations about both the triumphs and tragedies of life are all topics you can expect on this show. So grab your headphones, get some fresh air, and prepare to ponder deep. Rooted in curiosity, resilience, and abundance, this is Evergreen Thinking. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am going to be answering the question, how did you become a therapist and coach? And kind of along with that, why I became a therapist and coach? I often get asked this question um, for a lot of reasons, I think, actually. Some people are just really curious. Some people are maybe interested in this kind of career themselves, and they're trying to figure out, like, how to kind of get there but i also wanted to bring up this question because i honestly think that if you are a therapy consumer or if you are a coaching consumer or really you are utilizing any kind of helping professional or support person, a practitioner of any kind, I think it can be really helpful to ask them that question, whether you are just getting started and you're kind of vetting, okay, is this the person I want to go with? Or if you've been seeing them for a while, um, I think that there is no harm in asking this question. I think that it can be really helpful for both parties. And I think it can be helpful for the development of your relationship. I think this can be a helpful question to ask because first off, um, I mean like their answer to it will just be insightful and it'll help you further determine like if they're a good fit. But second, I think this is a really interesting question to ask because their reaction to being asked such a question could be really telling. Especially, I'm thinking of, of therapists. Sometimes therapists are afraid to answer more personal questions. And um, historically, they've been trained to be a little bit more of like a blank slate who doesn't really let you see their humanity. And that is definitely changing um, as our profession evolves. We are um, learning how to still be professional and also let you see our shared humanness um and that can be a really fine line to walk but that is something that's changing however if you ask someone this question their reaction to it could kind of be an indicator for you if they are a type of practitioner that that does let a little bit of their humanness show or if they are a little bit more of that blank slate um you know, I think it's interesting because I 100% believe that a therapist has a right to their personal privacy. Um, and I also think it's important that more of the attention in this relationship is always on you. You as a client always come first. And even when it comes to self-disclosure... Which again can be really helpful and powerful if a therapist shares something about their experience or their life. Um, That can be really powerful and helpful if it's done well. And if it's done in a healthy way with healthy intentions. Um, And it's crucial that the therapist is only disclosing things in a way that is for the utmost benefit of the client. Anyways... So like if someone were to ask me this question, which people often do the first or second time that we're meeting, they ask me why I chose this, this career. Um, and I, in my office, I, I answer it personally, but it's pretty concise. Um, and uh, yeah, because I, because that's their time, like they are paying me for that time to benefit them. Usually when they ask that question, it's kind of just a part of them getting to know me more and deciding for themselves if they like me, if they trust me. And so I think it's like pretty harmless. Um, But I don't go into like my whole long, you know, story. It's a pretty concise like answer. So in this podcast episode, I wanted to go um, into a little bit more depth when I share about how and why I became a mental health coach and mental health counselor. Um, And yeah, I'm especially going to include the how because like I said, people are often really curious about like, how does someone even get into this? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let me do the why because I feel like the why is a little bit of like a quicker Piece for me to answer at least. Why did I become a mental health coach or and mental health counselor? Ultimately, I am a connector. That is the kind of human I am. I am motivated by human connection and I'm driven to help others maximize their potential. Um, and that'll come up more in my story that I share, but I really feel like my ultimate, like character trait, if you could just sum it up into one is that I just love to see other people win. And I love to be in the assistant role. What I mean by that is kind of like in basketball, I don't really want to be the person making, um, like three pointer shots, But if I could be the person to, like, pass to the shooter who makes the shot, I just think that is, like, the most um, invigorating, rewarding feeling. Um, Or with rock climbing. I really love sport climbing. But honestly, I would totally be content to go to the crag and just belay people all day long and, like, only climb one route the whole time. I just really really find a lot of joy and meaning in being like the cog in a greater machine. And I kind of just view my role as a therapist and as a coach as just that. I also have been through quite a colorful bit of life myself. And I personally just really understand the power that comes from having an advocate and having someone to help point you back to yourself when you kind of lose your way and how to find answers and insights and ask hard questions and connect with another person over, like I say in the intro of this podcast, the triumphs and tragedies of life. And then lastly, I think this is this profession really is like one of the best ways for me to contribute to society. Um, I think that in life, we kind of have two sets of skills. We have skills that are wired and skills that are acquired. What I mean by that is that we have skills that we are uniquely born with, and then we have skills that we obtain along the way on our journey. But both of our, our wired and acquired skills, I think, are usually uniquely... I don't even want to say natural, necessarily, maybe... I don't know if organic is the right word either, but they, they come naturally to us in a unique way. So lots of people could have like similar combinations of skills, but I think we, we are all very unique in like the power and execution of those skills and, and things. Um, and anyways, for me, things like communication, empathy, emotional intelligence, sensitivity, depth, connection, conceptualization, um, inquiry, intuitiveness, compassion, patience, problem solving, curiosity, and supportiveness, like an encouragement is just what I'm wired with and what I've acquired along the way. So I really believe that being in a coaching or therapeutic position is the best way for me to utilize my gifts for both my satisfaction, but also for a collective contribution. So for now, that's how I'm showing up. So that's kind of my why of why I'm here right now. Um, let's talk a little bit about the how. It's really interesting. I, I always kind of knew that I would do something in the helping profession field, but I was a little resistant to the idea of being a therapist or a counselor for a good chunk of my life. And when I look back on it, I think part of that is because um, well, one, I didn't wanna be put in a box. And so I really, I wanted to just be open to other possibilities. But two, I had kind of an early childhood, um, early adolescence experience with a family counselor that wasn't really a great experience. And it wasn't because of the counselor. She was wonderful. Um, But just that experience kind of sucked. And... um, I was just kind of like, Ugh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to be a part of things that suck like that. <laughs> um, so there was just some resistance, even though I knew that I would probably be pretty good at something like that. But no, growing up, I wanted to be a lot of things. Um, I was interested in being an astronaut. Oh my gosh, for the longest time, I really wanted to be a paleontologist. I loved like dinosaurs and history and finding fossils and things like that. Um, I also wanted to be a ballerina because I was a dancer for most of my, um, childhood. I was interested in being a meteorologist, not because I cared about the weather so much, but because I liked the idea of like being on TV and giving presentations. (laughs) I know I'm like, kind of psycho um you know I also really loved writing and I was really interested in being a speech writer for politicians um I loved loved writing and it was interesting I would actually write like really deep and heartfelt and mature pieces of writing in things like cards or random letters and notes and things if I mean, I have a lot of these pieces and if you were to flip through them and just read like the depth and the maturity and even like the usage of commas, like I knew how to write and ultimately speak things in a way that was very like impactful and moving. And if you were to read through some of those things, you would be like, there's no way that like a six year old wrote this. I, I'm I'm serious. It's just kind of like how I was wired. Uh, growing up, my family often called me um, sentimental. That was a um, a descriptor that was assigned to me a lot. Was, Kelsey's just really sentimental. I was a really easy crier. Um, I've always been a really easy crier. I'm not so much anymore, but um, yeah, just like sensitive, sentimental maybe a little moody at times (laughs) but um yeah I growing up I loved being creative I had a really big imagination I loved performing in all ways whether on a stage in a classroom in my living room um I also really loved teaching and leading and inspiring um I had two stepsisters who were much older than me. They were already moved out of the house whenever I moved in. And so I was raised as an only child. And so I experienced a lot of solitary and imaginative play. Um, My family, I grew up in like a working class family. So um, yeah, I just, I had a lot of positive like solitude and just like unstructured playtime, which I think really helped me in like the development of my imagination and things. Um, But yeah, I also feel like I kind of was a counselor, like even before I knew what a counselor was in some ways, Um, (laughs) maybe more of a coach really. But I remember being in the back seat i was maybe like seven and one of my cousins was like five sitting next to me and i remember just like giving him this random totally unsolicited pep talk just telling him that like it was so important for him to just like be himself and to stand for what he believed in and not to let anyone tell him like who he is yeah that's like seven-year-old kelsey um but yeah, I was a competitive dancer, um, would easily spend a minimum of like 10 hours a week um, at the dance studio, often much more. In high school, I was in color guard on the dance team, musicals, show choir, concert choir. I was really involved in community theater. I was always performing and leading, and a lot of those more like artistic activities were also a huge emotional outlet to me. So I think that's where I learned a lot about humans. Um, obviously being on teams and acting and performing and then connecting with music. Um, it really was like a an emotional, uh, emotionally charged experience for me, I think in a really positive way. Um, I think I got a lot of my like sociology interests um, from those experiences. Um, I took French in high school, and I was really interested in that. And so for a while, I thought I might want to be a French teacher because I also really, really loved my French teacher in high school. But my first actual jobs were um, through dance. Again, I was a color guard um, instructor. I did choreography for local schools and... um, theater companies. I taught dance at um, an art academy. And then I had like retail jobs. My first like non-dance related job was at American Eagle. Um, I did some volunteer work with Big Brothers Big Sisters. That was a really interesting experience. Um, I also... Um, was involved with an organization that provided, um, what I guess I would call is like dignified support services for sex workers. Um, so that was another, like I was in late high school, early college, I think when I got involved with that. So just kind of another like interesting experience where I learned more about like people, um, I was the first person in my family to go to college, and (laughs) my journey to getting to college itself is like a slight miracle. Um, I was a pretty, like, I don't know. I feel like if I call myself an average student, that's kind of selling it short for all that I had on my plate, but I don't know. I guess, I mean, I would say I was like your typical B average student though. Um, I took like mostly all honors classes, but I had to work really hard to keep up with honors work. Um, I wasn't automatically placed in honors classes. I actually had to request to be put in them and like provide examples of work and take tests to prove that like I could hang and I hung, but it was, um, a challenge for sure, especially with like all of the other things I was involved with. Um, And when it came time to apply for college, I really didn't know what was normal or what you were supposed to do. And so I just picked a school, Indiana University. I knew it was like a good big 10 school. Um, I had friends that went there and I knew that my grandpa liked their basketball team. (laughs) And so I just like applied to that. I only applied to that one school And I was waitlisted. I had to like retake my SAT and take the ACT. And I had to submit like letters of recommendation and stuff. And um, that was kind of scary because by the time I found out I was waitlisted, it was kind of like too late to apply for the fall for like other schools. So yeah, that was kind of scary. But um, I got in and got to start on time in the fall. And that was um, a really interesting experience. Um, being a first-generation college student is a big challenge. Um, when I say I was the first person to go to college, I don't just mean like out of my parents, but out of my extended family. This was a first. And so um, I think if you are a first-gen college student, you can agree that a lot of the time you aren't even sure like why you're going to college but you just know that you're going because no one else has ever done this before and it was regarded as a highly esteemed thing and like this was something that would make your life different and somehow better but the goals are still kind of murky at least that was my experience I think that first gen college students have a lot of like unique stressors and mental health experiences um compared to our like legacy counterparts Because there's just often an added layer of like financial strain, plus you're not a lot of support from home. Not because people at home don't want to support you, but they don't necessarily know how or they don't quite understand like the culture or like the weight of what you're actually going through, especially if you go away to college, I think. So anyways, it's just like that was a really unique experience, but I made it. I was an undecided major until like junior year, Um, but that was okay. I had a lot of dual credits and like AP course credits and things from high school. And so I actually only had like one gen ed requirement, which was my math class. Other than that, like I had everything taken care of. So I was able to just literally take tons of classes that I was curious about and interested in, which was amazing. So, um, some of my early majors, though, were um, kinesiology for, I guess, physical therapy. but yeah, that that was a no go pretty quick. Um education, public health, just like generally. Um, And then I ended up settling on human development and family studies. We often referred to that as the mom major because it would be like a lecture hall of 200 people and like two of them were guys. Um, And our classes were about human development and family studies. Um, So that was my major. I kind of just stumbled into it because by junior year, my advisor was like, well, all the classes that you're interested in are a part of this major. So why don't you choose that? So I was like, okay, so yeah, it was a public health degree. Um, and then I did a minor in human sexuality and for a good chunk of that time, I thought that I was going to be a sexual health educator. That was going to be kind of my post-grad plan. I had this really awesome internship with IU health lined up. It was going to be great. Um, but I kind of changed my mind at the last minute. I had an assignment in one of my classes that was like a, a job shadowing assignment. And I shadowed um, a high school counselor. And I found that really intriguing. Um, it reminded me that my high school counselor had a really uh, profound impact on me. Um, just through some of like the hard things I experienced as a high schooler. Um, And so I decided that I wanted to explore the therapy world more. So I ended up doing my internship with CAPS and SACS, which was the uh, counseling and psychological services and the sexual assault crisis services on campus um, at IU. And that was a really amazing experience. Uh, I had two supervisors, and they were both therapists. Um, and yeah, that was just like really awesome. I I learned a lot about the work that they did and I learned a lot about the work that they did beyond just counseling, um, which is important. Um, that'll come up later, but yeah, I, I got to learn a lot about, um, sexual assault and about, um, just some of those like harder, maybe darker things that occur on college campus, Um, my role as an intern in that experience was more on the education side of things so I was really involved with um, helping plan and prepare for this big event on campus called sex drugs and rock and roll where there was just a lot of like education around sex and drugs and risky behaviors and things that could occur um, on campus I also Was involved in giving presentations about sexual assault to athletic organizations on campus, which honestly sucked. Um, I was just trying to give, I mean, I was doing my job, right? And I was just trying to give people guidance on like consent and how to not, um, get yourself in a situation in which you are a perpetrator or like that you are harmed, but, um, I was kind of viewed as like the bad guy that was telling boys not to be like rapists basically and i was just like there's so much more nuance to this but that's that was the vibe anyways i also volunteered with a women's domestic violence shelter um on the crisis lines for them on campus so i would basically sit and stare at the phone and wait for it to ring um And there would be a person on the other end who would maybe need help, um, getting away from an abuser or they needed resources or, um, something like that. So yeah, I had some really interesting experiences, um, kind of in the mental health, social work, um, services kind of field. Um, but ultimately decided that I really wanted to um be a school counselor that was what I was really interested in um I'll also say someday maybe I'll do like an episode on this but at that time well like during college I was seeing a therapist and um I think that also impacted my interest in wanting to also be a therapist um Maybe someday I'll share an episode about my different therapy experiences because like I said at the beginning, I also had some like not so good experiences too. So anyways, I thought being a school counselor would be cool because it was kind of like there, like it wasn't quite as intense as therapy but it was um, still like really powerful if that makes sense. So Um, yeah, it was kind of like, I still got to work in mental health, but it was a little bit more comprehensive. And, um, to me, it sounded like maybe a little bit more fun than therapy. (laughs) So then that meant I had to go to grad school, um, to be a therapist or mental health counselor, you have to have at least a master's degree and then lots of post, um, master's training so that was wild because as a first-gen college student who also I feel like I had a really hard time graduating college I graduated on time all my classes I did great in except math Um, I'm really not good at math Um, I had to retake finite six times until I finally passed it I still couldn't tell you what finite is and I took it six times So I was just like, oh no, I have to do grad school. It's kind of funny because I like had like perfect A's in grad school. Grad school is so much easier than undergrad. (laughs) Um, But so yeah, had to go to grad school. Wasn't sure how to apply for that, but I knew that I was going to apply to more than one program. (laughs) So um, I applied to three. um, And I knew that there was a really good chance that going to grad school, I was going to have to move to a different city which was kind of a bummer because I was really in love with Bloomington where I lived for college. And um, whenever I chose Butler, which is in Indianapolis, um, I for a while was even thinking about just like commuting, which would have been like an hour and a half through really terrible construction for three years. Um, I'm so glad I decided to just take the leap and move to Indy, but that was kind of my plan. Anyways, I went from this like Big Ten University to like a very small private school. Um, I remember when I went to Butler for my interview for the program, um, I took a little campus tour and I remember looking at a map while the tour guide was walking us around and I was like, okay, so where we're going now will probably be like a 15 minute walk. And then she was like, we took like 10 steps and she was like, we're here. And I was just like, what? It was so different. Um, anyways, my interview was actually just a formality to let me know that I was admitted. Um, I was in the chosen in the first wave and they just meet with you to make sure that you still like present the same in person as you did on paper and there's no other red flags and so at the end of the interview they told me that i i was in which was a total surprise i did not know that that was how it went um butler is one of the um best school counseling programs um in the in indiana Um, it's a very highly regarded program, and it was also a program that gave me the opportunity to get my master's in education with a concentration in school counseling, as well as a mental health counseling certificate. So that's what I did. Meanwhile, it's really interesting, in the background, on the back burner of my mind, um, my dream job was to be a Christian author and speaker, That was what I wanted to do. If you haven't listened to my uh, deconstruction episode, that will provide some more context to that. But um, so at the time, while I was in grad school, I was also a podcast transcriptionist for a Christian podcast. And in turn for my work, I received coaching for writing and speaking. And that was my very first taste of entrepreneurship. I eventually self-published a book and had many speaking engagements. um, And that was, yeah, my first little taste of that. But then school got a lot more intense. And um, those pursuits kind of fell by the wayside while I also ended up deconstructing my whole religion. (laughs) Um, But eventually I started my school counseling internship at a high school. Um, I did my practicum in a middle school, which I really loved, and I thought I wanted to be a middle school counselor. Then I did my high school internship, and uh, about a month into my internship, I was hired on uh, full-time to cover a medical leave, Um, and it became apparent that that's where I was going to stay. So then I worked there for two more years. Um, I loved school counseling so much. I loved it so much that I actually considered quitting the mental health certificate program because I was like, I don't really need this. Um, (laughs) but, um, I stuck with that. And so I ended up kind of finishing up with, um, the credentials of being a nationally certified counselor, a licensed K twelve educator, a licensed school counselor, and a certified family life educator, and a licensed mental health counselor associate. Whew! Lots of words. Um, and you know, I, I really enjoyed my job in education and I also kind of hated it at the same time. It was tough. Um, I loved the job. I loved the kids. I loved the vision. I didn't love the expectations, the culture, the lack of benefits. I joined the teachers union um, and tried really hard to help advocate and effect change. I wanted to make it work so bad but Um, I realized that the issues that I was facing were bigger than my school, bigger than my district. They came down to like education as an industry. Um, Yeah, it's just really tough and really broken in my opinion. Um, It's not sustainable. And I just knew that it wasn't healthy for me um, on a lot of fronts. My plan was to be in education for about 10 years and then transition to mental health, uh, like a mental health practice from there. But I only made it three years. Um, I quit my job and it was a really hard decision. Um, And then that's when I was planning on pursuing mental health counseling. So I started searching for a supervisor and all of that. I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur of any kind, um, because my, mm, let's see, I had some experiences with family entrepreneurs who were very, um, kind of yucky car salesman vibes, and, um... I didn't want to become that and I kind of had this very limited view of like that was what you had to be to be an entrepreneur Um, but I decided to start offering coaching anyways while I was then um, doing my mental health counseling uh, clinical residency Um, so in Indiana, to be a mental health counselor, you have to have 3,000 hours of practice, and in, in which you are practicing under a supervisor. Um, and then you have like many hours of supervision, direct, like one on one supervision. Um, and then after you complete that, you can apply to take your board exams. I recently took my board exams and I passed. And so where I'm at in the process now is I'm still practicing um, under the supervision of a fully licensed therapist while I am waiting for the board to um, review the last part of my application, which includes my passing test scores. And then I'm waiting to get my new full license in the mail. Um, So that's where I'm at in that process. Um over the last few years, I have learned that I really love working with first-time therapy goers or folks with previous bad therapy experiences. I especially love working with the LGBTQ community. Um, a very large portion of my clientele are queer. I, enjoy working with people who have religious backgrounds, whether they are still practicing or not, um, because I think we can kind of share the language there. Um, I typically work with people who are in their, like, 20s to 40s, go-getters who have read lots of self-help books, like all the therapy TikToks. They've tried lots of strategies, um, but they are still stuck, often dealing with anxiety or experiencing a big life transition. I often work with people pleasers, high achievers, and folks who are used to getting gold stars. Um, I surprisingly enjoy working with adults the most, so nowadays if I get a referral or a request for a teen client um, or a child, I refer those out. it's just not my, like, passion population, and I know that there are other therapists who are much more specialized in working with those populations. Um, for a while, I was also trying to do quite a bit of programming. So, like, I worked with a parks department um, here in Indiana to develop a mindful living curriculum where we had uh, I think it was five or six weeks um for a child group and for an adult group and I was teaching them how to live mindfully um but I've since kind of like I've just kind of taken a pause from that I don't know if that kind of programming is exactly what I'm into anymore um, yeah I have served over a hundred folks for counseling I nowadays almost always have a wait list. Um, I like to refer out if I can because I don't think it's fair for people who are seeking support to have to wait, um, but also um, I think I have developed a a nice reputation in the indie therapy world and people want to work with me, people like to work with me, so I try to get people onboarded as quick as I can while still having good boundaries and all that. Um, So that's kind of like the counseling side of things. And then with coaching, this is a lot quicker because um, honestly, coaching is a a lot simpler to get into. Um, Really, anyone can be a coach. Um, Now, not anyone can be a good coach, but anyone can be a coach. Um, I will say that my skills that I have as a therapist are very transferable and not every uh, coach is going to have the skill set that I have. Um, Coaching work is quite a bit more directive. Um, In counseling, we don't give advice. We don't tell you what you should do. We help you find your own answers. Um, And that can take a little bit more time. And so coaching often is a quicker paced experience. Um, Sometimes people who are seeking out therapy are kind of in this space where like they know they need some changes, but they're not sure if they're quite ready to make changes. And I found that coaching clients are often people who are like, no, I'm ready for change. Let's do this. I'll try anything. Let's go. Um, now that's just a generalization. It's not always the case, but for me, coaching provided me an opportunity to support more people nationally because as a counselor, I will only be licensed in Indiana. Um, so it just kind of gave me a bigger pool of people to meet and get to work with. Uh, my coaching clients are people who are not in crisis they maybe have a background of some therapy experience already they they know that they want to work with a coach they're just not sure like who to go with in a future upcoming episode i'm going to be sharing my actual coaching philosophy philosophy and methodology so you can look forward to learning more about those um, in an upcoming episode But yeah, coaching clients generally like they know what they want. They just need help getting there. It's very like future focused. Um, Oftentimes therapy clients are looking to discover what they want or they're looking to overcome something. Um, And oftentimes that can, at least with my approach, can involve digging into the past a little bit more. I do have a free quiz to help you determine what might be a better support for you, coaching versus therapy. You can figure out what would personally be best for you. It's a free quiz. I will link it in the show notes. Um, And kind of going along with that, like along with counseling and coaching, education is really important to me. you know, I have this podcast, but I also have been developing courses, my signature course, Boundaries for Abundance, and my other course, How to Find a Therapist, One You Actually Like. Um, and I'm working on some other courses as well. Um, from time to time, I offer masterminds and other just like little ways to connect and learn from me. I try to offer things on a wide um price range. Um, for example, my how to find a therapist, uh, course is a mini course and it's like very affordable because I think that that information should be readily available, but I also worked hard to develop it. So, um, I'm currently working on a little line of merchandise to support the podcast, which I'm super excited about. So if you love the show and you want to support it, you want to help share about it in a fun way, um, I'm calling the first t-shirt merch drop, The Foraging Collection, and it will be super cute and fun. Uh, over the last year, a hobby that I've gotten into is mushroom hunting for like nutritious, edible mushrooms not psychoactive mushrooms, but edible ones that have great nutrients um, and are yummy to eat. So the line coming out soon is inspired by foraging, Um, so there will be lots of cute mushrooms involved. And that's just a way for you to share the message of the show if you'd like, so be on the lookout for that. What are my plans for the future in this field? Honestly, I'm still getting used to and enjoying this season. There is so much to learn. There's always new research emerging, new new modalities coming out. We're always learning more and new things about the brain and the nervous system and people. Right now, I'm focused on giving my current clients the very best care while continuing to sharpen my skills and connect with other leading coaches and counselors in the field. Right now, one of my dreams, I think, <laughs> is to own... A mental health clinic that offers supplemental and complementary services in house. So imagine this as being a one-stop shop where you can have your mental health care, including art, music, and play therapy, and support groups, um, or you know just your traditional therapist. You can also meet with a chiropractor. Chiropractor or massage therapist. There would be a nutritionist on hand, a psychiatric registered nurse if medication were a, a thing. Also, spiritual services such as um, energy healing. Um, you could attend trauma informed but therapeutically targeted, like yoga, breathwork, sound bathing, Tai Chi classes. In my dreams, there would also be a sauna, um, an ice bath and floating therapy all in one place that is located on a beautiful property with hiking and water access. That's the dream. We'll see what happens. I know better than to plan that far in advance, but when I daydream, that's kind of where my mind goes these days. But I also honestly dream of doing a little less therapy and doing more coaching. Um, A lot of this is due to my ideal lifestyle of working a little more remote, having less administrative duties. Um, I would love to have a balance of like 70-30, 70 coaching, 30 therapy. Right now I'm more at... 20 coaching 80 therapy, (laughs) which is, I mean, it's great. I, I enjoy therapy too. Um, that's just a balance that I think would work really well for me. There are just so many good things in the works. Um, I'm really excited about just continuing to learn and settle into this, this really fun, um, and rewarding field. If you're interested in working with me in a a therapy setting and you are a resident of indiana feel free to visit my website hemlock counseling services i'll link it in the show notes and you can um, see if we would be a good fit if you're interested in working with me in a coaching capacity there's really two main ways to do this right now um one is called the sprint and Those spots are currently not open right now. They will open back up again in September, which is not that far away. Um, But these were like individual just one-off sessions. Um, They sold really quick the last time I offered them. These are just like super quick and efficient single sessions where you can get some quick guidance and actionable advice anytime you might need it. So like a lot of people would purchase these in bulk and then save them in their back pocket for when something came up that they wanted some coaching support for. So again, I don't have any of these open right now, but they'll open back up around September. And then my newest program, The Ascent. If you've listened to the show lately or are following me on Instagram, then you know that The Ascent is my newest and most intimate coaching experience, and the waitlist is now open! I'm so excited about this program. Because honestly, for like over a year now, I have been dreaming of creating a program for high achieving folks who want an intimate level of support that is more directive and more dynamic than a therapy experience. Something for the individual who has done some mental health work already, they are not in a state of crisis, but they are in a state where they've acknowledged that they have so much more ahead of them if they only knew the right steps to get to the next level. And that is why I designed the ascent. Applications will go live for the waitlist people only on May 8th. And then they'll open to the public a few weeks later. But you want to be on the waitlist because you want to apply first. Because I'm only accepting two, maybe three people for this round of the ascent. The reason spots are so slim is because you will have the most access to me out of any other kind of service that I offer, including therapy. For four months, you'll have me in your back pocket with 24-7 access to me via Voxer, a voice and text messaging app, so that you can process and receive feedback in real time. You will also have an hour-long video call with me every other week for those whole four months. What are we going to be doing during these calls and during these four months together? Well, we are going to help you become the brightest, healthiest, and realest version of yourself. As defined by you. Here's the thing. People, millennial women especially, are often drawn to me because I am adventurous, brave, independent, and just one of like the realest humans, but what they don't realize is that I'm really not that special. I'm really not. And you can be adventurous and brave and independent and real too. The way that I got there was that I learned how to regulate my nervous system in the face of challenges so that I could make decisions out of grounding instead of out of fear. I got real acquainted with my intuition and learned how to be so in sync with her Another upgrade that gave me so much confidence with decision making. Specifically, I was able to make decisions that were aligned with my values. That's right, I sifted through the clutter and came to terms with what my values actually were and which ones were given to me from someone else. I took bold steps, got out of my comfort zone, tried new things, and learned the magic dosage of self compassion meets pushing yourself when you start to act small again. So this is what we'll do in the ascent. We'll refine your values, get you real close with your intuition, teach you how to navigate decisions and stress, and make big moves with a regulated nervous system. We'll break through mindset barriers and train your self-compassion muscles. You'll experience loving accountability like no other while working with someone who has the skills the training, and the personal experience of initiating powerful change. The best part is that while our time together is only four months, this investment will be something that you can carry with you for the rest of your life. If you are ready to use the word no without fear, make a career pivot, finally share your story, learn a new hobby, travel and explore more, even alone, Make decisions with confidence and ease. Achieve your quote-unquote impossible goal. Prioritize a healthy lifestyle. Say what you mean without sugarcoating. Have friendships that expand and push you. Trust yourself and your intuition. Live a life full of abundance. Put yourself first while still serving others. And show up authentically every dang day. The ascent was designed with you specifically in mind. So go to the link in the show notes to sign up for the waitlist today. It only takes a few clicks. So you can get signed up. And you'll be the first to know when the applications open. And if you want to know more, visit hemlockcoachingservices.com to learn more about the program and about me as a coach. This is my new coaching website that recently launched and it's so beautiful. And so I just can't wait for you to see it. Thanks for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Evergreen Thinking Podcast. To get further connected with me or take your exploration to the next level, visit the show notes at evergreenthinkingpod.com or find me on Instagram at Evergreen Thinking Pod.